All right, we're going to do a little audience participation this evening. Uh, I have a couple of questions for you. You can answer by a show of hands, all right? So first question is, I hope an easy one, uh, raise your hand if you feel like you are perfect. Okay, I got a couple. All right, that's good. Love it, love it. Okay. All right, uh, now I'm going to make it a little bit harder. Uh, husbands, raise your hand if you think your wife is perfect. It is Valentine's Day. I'd like to point that out. Husbands, okay, yeah. Good job, good job. I see who's scared into submission. That's good, all right. Uh, wives, actually don't bother. There's no point. You're not going to raise your hand. Okay, good. So, uh, Here's what I think. I think we can recognize, with maybe one exception, we can recognize that we are all imperfect, right? Uh, we, we recognize this is kind of part of the core Christian message that we're all sinners. I think the challenge for us is to address the depths of the problem, okay? And so uh, tonight, uh, I'm thinking about, uh, uh, I don't know why I'm in this HGTV phase, but I'm thinking about this show on HGTV called No Demo Reno. Anybody, anybody ever seen this show? Okay, a couple people. Thank you. Love you. Um, if you haven't, I have like a minute-long trailer for this show I want to play for you. And now an HGTV special sneak peek. I'm Jennifer Todrick. Along with my team, I run a home renovation and interior design business from Dallas, Texas. When I'm not on site, I'm online giving design and decorating tips with some motherhood in the mix. What do you think about this flooring? No Demo Reno is totally the way to go. I can give you that million-dollar reveal without any major demolition. Under the stairs, we're going to rip it open. Kids' cave. Okay, hammer. I feel like I get to take little pieces of the project with me home. So I'm thinking we need a door, but I want it to be a secret door. I was thinking maybe, like, bookshelves on the front of it. Nice. That's going to be so cute. Oh my gosh, the kids Look are going to be that. It's like hidden. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's a secret not, door. You're not going in, I'm going in. Yeah, no. Gosh, look how cute. That's amazing. When things look pretty, people get happy. I actually love my job. Okay. No demo reno. So what she did under the stairs is more demolition than I've seen in like 30 episodes of this show, okay? So her whole deal is, she said it kind of beautifully in that trailer, her whole deal is I can give you that million dollar reveal without any demolition, okay? I actually really like this show, but I think this is the kind of Christian formation we can all buy into, right? I would love um, some Jesus with a side of no demo reno, right? Jesus, you can fix my life. Let's not do demolition. Let's just do minor improvements, right? If you could slap on some new paint into my life, if you could maybe fix the cabinets, there's one stair that's creaking. If you could repair that for me, and then Jesus, I'm good to go. The problem is that the depth of our problem is greater than what can be solved by new cabinets, new paint, or changing the amount of light coming in through the window. We need more than new demo reno. So I got another picture for you. Can you put my first picture up? Um, this is a picture you might recognize. This is Champlain Towers South, which was a 12-story beachfront condominium uh, in the Miami suburb of Surfside, Florida. Uh, if you recognize it, it's because of the next picture. Um, so on June 21st, 2021, at approximately 1.22 a.m., a significant portion of this tower collapsed. Uh, and um, this led to all kinds of crisis. There were about 35 people in the still-standing section of the tower 
who were pulled out and rescued. There were uh, about four people that were in the rubble that were pulled out of the rubble and rescued. Eleven other people were injured. Ninety-eight people died in the collapse of the Surfside Tower. There has been ongoing investigation about why. Uh, And I don't know that the, the final report has been written Um, But a contributing factor was the long-term degradation of reinforced concrete structural support in the basement-level parking garage due to water penetration and corrosion of the reinforcing steel. Other possible factors include insufficient reinforcing steel and corruption during construction. Here's the point. No amount of no demo reno could have saved this building. Um, No amount of no demo reno can save you either. Unfortunately, you and the building and I have a shared problem. It's not the sort of problem that's fixed with a facelift. It's a foundational issue. Uh, And unless we repair the foundation, um, we fall apart and we hurt people around us. Uh, I think this is Paul's frustration with the Galatians. The Galatians say, hey, we're going to get back to the law. We're going to get back to following the rules. We just need to be a little bit better, right? Let's just do a little bit better at following God. And, and Paul says, hey, you know what? You need a lot more than a little bit. Um, the reality is um, your problem is so much more than that, and so is mine. We need to tear it all down and start over. And the language Scripture uses is it says, we need to die. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Jesus says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Specifically, uh, my foundation, uh, my foundation of self-centeredness is that part that's got to get renovated. Um, my foundation of selfishness uh, is, is the core of me that Christ came to fix. And, and part of the challenge is that I like my core, and part of the challenge is the world tells me I need more, not less of that, right? The world tells me I need more self-esteem and more self-confidence and more self-acceptance. We need more self-made men and self-made women. And Jesus comes with a different message. And Jesus says, our choices are flawed because our hearts are flawed, our foundation. Our hearts are turned inward instead of outward and upward. And so the psalmist says, create in me a clean heart, O God. I need to start over. And the key to this process, the key to this process of, of radical renovation, of heart replacement, of dying to ourselves, is um, what I want to call our first death day. You need a first death day. You need a day where you, partnering with the Holy Spirit, say, hey, I don't want just a little bit of Jesus, and I don't want just to be a little bit better, and I don't just want to uh, add Jesus into my life. I want to die to myself and I want to live to Christ. By the way, this is a process. Now, you don't do this in one day. Your first birthday was a really important day for you, but you weren't done growing on your first birthday, right? You grew bigger, you grew older, some of us grew wider, right? You kept growing. Uh, your first death day is the beginning of a process. You're not done dying on that day. But it's a decision to say, hey, 
um, I recognize that to move forward with Jesus, I need a different foundation. I need a different heart. I need a different kind of life. Dallas Willard says, those who are not genuinely convinced that the only real bargain in life is surrendering ourselves to Jesus and His cause, abandoning all that we love to Him and for Him, cannot learn the other lessons Jesus has to teach us. Not that He will not let us, but that we simply cannot succeed. If I tell you, you cannot drive an automobile unless you can see, I am not saying I will not let you, but that you cannot succeed even if I do. That the, the fundamental first step for us in this process of saying, I want to be like Jesus, is we say I have to stop being like me, right? I want to die to myself and live to Christ. So, two questions tonight. Um, what does that look like and how do we do it? What does that look like? Uh, N.T. Wright tells a story about Margaret Thatcher visiting a retirement community while she was Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. And, and while um, Mrs. Thatcher is walking through this retirement community, she's shaking hands and greeting people, and she meets this one woman, and she has this impression that the woman doesn't recognize her. So Thatcher says, I'm sorry, do you know who I am? And the woman says, no, but if you ask the nurse, she usually knows. <laughs> and I love this idea uh, that we're called to die to ourselves means first to kind of forget about ourselves, right? It doesn't mean that we don't like ourselves. It just means we don't think about ourselves as much. Jim Gates is no longer the foundation or the center or the focal point of my life. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. We begin to forget who we were, and we ask Jesus. He usually knows. The, the next effect of um, dying to ourselves uh, is it begins to change how we respond to the world around us. Dallas Willard again says, being dead to self is the condition where the mere fact I do not get what I want does not surprise or offend me and has no control over me. George Mueller of Bristol, England said, there was a day when I died, died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will, died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the blame or approval even of my brethren and friends, and since then I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. Imagine a life where not getting what I want doesn't bother me. Imagine a life where how you perceive me, the good or the bad, doesn't shake me, where I can hear criticism and it doesn't make me defensive, where self-indulgence doesn't interest me, where the things I possess don't possess me, that's the life that Christ offers. It's the life that begins by dying to ourselves and living to Him. Francis of Assisi says, people who have died to the world wear it like a loose garment, where it touches us in a few places and there lightly. We have this foundational problem, 
It requires a dramatic response, a choice to die to ourselves. That means forgetting about ourselves as the center of our lives and living in such a way that Jim's experience uh, doesn't govern all that happens. But how do we do that, right? How do we um, experience that kind of death and new life? The first thing to recognize is it's not something we do on our own, and it's not something God does for us. Something we do in partnership with God. Uh, Willard again compares this to the Israelites conquering the promised land. Remember, they get to Jericho and they blow the trumpets and they march around and the walls fall down. How many times does that happen while they're conquering the promised land? Just once, right? Just one time. Every other battle, the Israelites fight and God fights with them. But only once does God do it all for them, right? Only one time, one moment does God say, hey, as you cross into the promised land, as you begin this new life, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to have your back. But then after that, we're going to do this journey together. This is the calling of our work to die to our old lives and live to Christ. Um, There is a Jericho moment, right? There is a first death day where God shows up and helps us in a dramatic way and says, hey, um, I want you on this adventure of a new life with me. And then after that, there is just one simple decision after another where we partner with God to say, hey, God, I got this sin in my life. I want you to help me remove it. Hey, God, I got this person in my life that I can't seem to forgive. I want you to help me learn to forgive them. Hey, God, uh, I need to practice serving. I need to practice giving. I need to give up time to be with you. Hey, God, um, in this season of Lent, I want to give up something good, not because it's bad to have it, but because you're so good that you're better than all the good things in my life. And something amazing begins to happen when we practice um, this um, simple daily death to self. It's not just that we give up who we were, we begin to discover what life looks like when Christ is living in us. So I got to tell you a story. Uh, It's from my favorite author, C.S. Lewis, from my favorite C.S. Lewis book, The Great Divorce. Uh, And I don't know if you've heard this story before. That's great. I'm excited. Uh, This is an account of well, so the whole book is a story of a, a b- bunch of people in the shadow world, which is hell, who take a bus up to the hyper real world, which is heaven, and they're walking around. Uh, and the narrator is walking with his guide, his teacher, and in the distance he sees a man with a red lizard on his shoulder. And he can see the lizard's mouth moving, but he can't hear what it's saying, uh, but he sees the man, or the ghost-like man, because he's one of the shadow people who's come up, um, yelling at it angrily, shut up, shut up. And then kind of his countenance changes and he becomes calmer as the lizard keeps talking. And then he starts to smile. Then he starts to limp off back towards the bus, back to the shadow world. All of a sudden, uh, and uh, out of the distance, a voice, this clear voice says, off so soon. And this being appears. Uh, The narrator says, the speaker was more or less human in shape, but larger than a man, and so bright I could hardly look at him. His presence smote on my eyes and on my body too, for there was heat coming from him as well as light, like the morning sun at the beginning of a tyrannous summer day. Yes, I'm off, said the ghost. Lovely to be here. Thanks for your hospitality, but I know this chap here isn't really welcome, and I told him to stay behind, but he wouldn't, and he won't shut up, so I'm just going to take him back where we came. And the angel says, do you want me to shut him up? He says, oh, 
That would be lovely, can you? Certainly I will kill him. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, what are you doing? Ow, ow, back away, you're burning me. What's this talk of killing? I just wanted you to make him be quiet. That's how I can make him be quiet. It's the only way. Shall I kill it? Well, that's a a further question. I mean, uh, I was only talking about silencing, and I was just so embarrassed that he's here. May I kill it? Well, there's time to discuss that later. There is no time. May I kill it? Please, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Look, it's gone to sleep on its own, and uh, really, I think I'll be able to keep it in order now. The gradual process is best rather than killing it. The gradual process is of no use at all. Don't you think so? Well, I'll consider that. Very carefully I will, but I don't really feel well today, and perhaps some other day would be better. There is no other day. All days are present now. Get back. You're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It is not so. Why are you hurting me now? I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. Oh, you think I'm a coward. Uh, you're, you're making fun of me. You're jeering at me. How can I let you do this? Why didn't you just do this before you asked me? Now uh, it's all, it would be over if you'd just done it, and now I have to think about it, and it's awful. I cannot kill it against your will. It is impossible. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that even I, the narrator, could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. I'll admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. You might say, quite innocent. Have I your permission, said the angel to the ghost. I know it will kill me. It won't. But supposing it did, you're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then may I? Go on. Get it over. Do what you like. God help me. God help me. The next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I have never heard on earth. The burning one closed its crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it while it bit and writhed, then flung it broken-backed on the turf. Ow, that's done for me, gasped the ghost, reeling backwards. For a moment, I could make out nothing distinctly. Then I saw, between me and the nearest bush, unmistakably solid, but growing every moment solider, the upper arm and shoulder of a man, then brighter and stronger still, legs and hands, the neck and golden head materialized while I watched, and if my attention had not wavered, I should have seen the actual completing of a man, an immense man, not much smaller than the angel. What distracted me was the fact that at the same moment, something seemed to be happening to the lizard. At first, I thought the operation had failed. So far from dying, the creature was still struggling and even growing bigger as it struggled, and as it grew, it changed. Its hinder parts grew rounder. The tail, still flickering, became a tail of hair. Suddenly, I started back, rubbing my eyes. What stood before me was the greatest stallion I had ever seen, silvery white, but with a mane and tail of gold. It stamped its hooves, and with each stamp, the land shook and the trees dindled. The new-made man turned and clapped the new horse's neck. It nosed his bright body. Horse and master breathed into each other's nostrils. 
man turned from it, flung himself at the feet of the burning one, and embraced them. Then he rose, and in joyous haste leaped upon the horse's back, waved a farewell, and rode off into the rose brightness of that everlasting morning. After all this happens, the narrator turns to his teacher, and he says, am I to understand that the lizard really became the horse? Aye, but it died first. You'll not forget that, will you? No. But does that mean that everything, everything that is in us can go on to the mountains? Nothing, not even the best and noblest, can go on as it now is. Nothing, not even what is lowest and most bestial, will not be raised again if it submits to death. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Flesh and blood cannot come to the mountains, not because they are too rank, but because they are too weak. What is a lizard compared with a stallion? Lust is a poor, weak, whimpering, whispering thing compared with that richness and energy of desire that will arise when lust has been killed. Jesus bids us to come and die not to deny us joy and fulfillment and happiness, but so that we can find it, so that we recognize that those who lose their life for His sake and for the sake of the gospel will find it, will find it not in the, the cheap pleasures of this world, but in the unbridled, unimaginable goodness that God has reserved for those who have the life of Christ living within them. This is the invitation for us today. It's an invitation into a life with Christ that begins in a death to self. That's the invitation for this evening for our worship. You're going to come forward shortly as we celebrate the sacrament of communion. You're going to be reminded that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Tonight, might be, for some of you, your first death day, the first day where you say, Lord, I don't want a life founded upon the good news of Jim Gates. I don't want a life founded upon my own pleasures and interests and fears and joys. God, I want to die to myself. I want a new heart and a new foundation. I want a life filled with you. Maybe you've made that decision before. Maybe this is just the anniversary of that death day the next step and the dying to yourself process and the living to Christ journey. When Christ calls a man, He bids him come and die. And then thereafter, to have His life in them. Let's celebrate our death and life together tonight.